and welcome to this month's episode of the Distance Learning Roundtable Show on the Incandescent Radio Network and Incandescent TV. I'm Hope Katz-Gibbs, producer of the show where experts gather to discuss the future of online education. It's an honor to introduce the show's host. Pat Casella is the executive director of the U.S. Distance Learning Association, which we lovingly call USDLA. And Dean Hoke is the managing partner of the international organization Edu Alliance. Our today's guest is a superstar. Dr. Robert Alsop is the president of Waldorf University, located in beautiful Forest City, Iowa. You can meet him at the upcoming USDLA National Conference in Orlando, July 17th to the 20th. Check it out, usdla.org. And today's topic is Waldorf University's new degree, where students can get a Master of Education in Social Emotional Learning. I can't wait to hear all about it. So I'm going to kick it over to you, Dean. Well, very good. Well, Robert, number one, thank you for being on the show. And let me do a little bit of historical background on you and uh, some of the things that we're going to talk about. You're the 16th president of Waldorf University. And you began your duties back in 2011. Uh, in 2020, uh, Robert started working with a world-renowned educator and founder of the Freedom Writers Program Foundation, by the name of Aaron Gruwell, alongside lifelong educator, Dr. Frida Braddock, to develop the program we're gonna talk a lot about today, the Waldorf Master of Education and Social Emotional Learning. A firm believer in SEL, Dr. Alsop has a passion for educating the whole student. And he provides a place for Aaron's original class of students to achieve resulting in a world-class SEL graduate program. It's a very powerful partnership between several thought leaders worldwide in the K-12 and higher ed online space. Dr. Alsop is a graduate of Concordia College with a BA in English Language and Literature, MA and PhD in English Language and Literature, except I don't speak it very well, there seems to be, <laughs> from Southern Illinois University. He's a husband and a father, who loves jazz and is a drummer, which we're going to talk about later. <laughs> Bob, welcome, and we're delighted to have you with us. And I'm going to turn over to Pat for the first question. Thanks, Dean. Bob, I have to say, yesterday I was actually watching MASH on MeTV, and I saw a Waldorf University commercial, so I'm just going to put that out there. You're, you're getting great coverage, okay? <laughs> getting fantastic coverage. I know the university has really traditional roots, right? A university is over 100 years old. It's located in a beautiful small town in, in Iowa and was founded by Norwegian Lutherans. Um, yet Waldorf is an early pioneer in education, online education. You offer multiple degrees online, including four individual Master of Education programs for teachers and administrators. What led Waldorf towards that emphasis on online learning? First, let me let me thank you uh, for the opportunity to come on on your program. It's a real honor for me, and uh, this is uh, a topic very close to to my heart and a relationship that developed uh, with with Aaron and the Freedom Writers, and uh, who I'm, I've gotten to know many of them uh, so well, and it's it's so inspiring to be a part of this project, and it just works so well because of. Waldorf's experience and expertise in the online modality, you're absolutely right. We come from very traditional roots. And uh, in the upper Midwest where we are, you can't get more traditional than Norwegian and Lutheran, <laughs> right? There is, as, as Garrison Keillor uh, would say about uh, 
uh, Minnesotans that everyone there is 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 a Lutheran, uh, even the atheists. It's a, a Lutheran God they don't believe in. So, uh, <laughs> but we had the opportunity with with partners back in uh, 2009, 2010, uh, with an ownership uh, group to really broaden our mission into the online space. And that was really important because they had experience uh, going way back with distance education, even going back to correspondence and then developing into that online and really understood the needs of the online students, the demographic of the online students and how you use that online modality so those students can be successful. So they are achieving the same learning objectives as our campus students, but it's an understanding of what opportunities you have with that online modality. And for us, that was a revelation. We're, we're in a small community here of under 5,000 uh, folks uh, in, in town, in a rural area in northern, northern Iowa. So we would run things like evening programs and summer programs, but that flexibility of online education became more and more available and important for people that were attracted in the past to those evening programs. So we're really proud of, of our online uh, programs and our online students. That's great. You know, we, we asked, we've done this with many different university presidents and whatnot. Some are newer schools, some are older schools. So it's always good to see and, and hear, you know, how did it start with some of the, some of the older schools there? Um, Dean, I'm gonna turn it over to you for a second question. Yeah. You've taken traditional routes. You've moved into online at a fairly early stage of the development of online. But furthermore, you've also moved into a whole different area with your work in, with Aaron. And in particular, as I understand, in 2021, you and Aaron, who has one of the best-selling books in the field, The Freedom Writer's Diary, partnered to offer specialized Freedom Writers courses to the original students who inspired the book. I'd like to hear about this collaboration more. So I'd like to hear about how you two connected to each other and how this evolved. Tell me about it. It actually goes back to 2018, early in 2018, a, a mutual friend uh, introduced us and said, I, I I think you guys would enjoy working with, with one another. And so I had this uh, phone call with, with Aaron. And I'll be honest, I had not read the book at that point. I had not seen the the, the movie. Uh, but we had this this phone call with an amazing connection to it, both in some of the things that we had taught in our careers and where our passions were and where we saw the real value of, of education and in the way that it can transform not only an individual's life, but it can be generational. It can impact their entire family. And so I, I came off that call thinking, wow, this is so amazing so so special and then i've come to know aaron and aaron is one of those people that she connects that way with everyone i've never seen anything like it she can be she we've had her on campus in an auditorium full of you know 600 uh students uh who coming down afterwards you know giving giving her hugs saying that this is just so so amazing she's the most remarkable person i've i've, I've ever uh come across 
But uh, so we, she said at that phone call, I really want you to come to my summer institute here in, in, in Long Beach. And I was like, man, that's, that's, that's a pretty big uh, com commitment. It's, it's a full week, you know, uh, uh, away. I don't know. No, I really, for, for you to really understand what I'm about, you need to, to come to, to, to the Institute. So main arrangements uh, to do that. Uh, in the meantime, you know, I, I read the book, I watched the movie. I'm like, wow, that's this, this is incredible. But Hillary Swank, you know, she probably oversold this. This has been, you know, Hollywood-esque uh, to, to, to some, some point. And then I met face-to-face -face with, with Aaron, and I met the freedom writers that wrote those diary entries. And I'm like, Hollywood undersold this. <laughs> These are the most amazing people. This is absolutely true-to-life uh experiences that were just so incredible and so transformational and then being a part of that symposium with other uh teachers and administrators for that that week i drank the kool-aid i was all in uh on this and so aaron and i just over time maintaining our friendships and our contacts and our passion of how do we reach more and more people and we came up with a number of initiatives. Part of it was how do we, for those original freedom writers that wrote those diary entries, who many people said they're not going to graduate high school, but all of them did. Many of them went on to uh, post-secondary education. Some did other things. Uh, some graduated college. Some some didn't. How do we provide you know education, get them through? So we developed a special scholarship uh, program to to make sure that they could complete their degree uh, at Waldorf. And then we started looking at what can we do with Waldorf's expertise, particularly in the on, in with online education, uh, to reach more and more teachers and administrators with this Freedom Writers experience with social emotional learning component uh, to it. And that's when we we started working through a curriculum. Uh, Dr. Braddock is a faculty member at Waldorf, sent her to the Institute. Uh, she got caught up in all of this uh, as, as well uh, and is an amazing uh, scholar and professor and uh, just became so passionate about uh, what, what we're trying to accomplish. She and Aaron worked together on the, the curriculum and building the courses and, and all of that. And again, it's very gratifying to be a part of that entire project. Because really, I, I think many of us uh, in the teaching profession have had those experiences with, with, with teachers that were very empathetic. And it wasn't just about teaching the subject matter, it was about teaching the whole person, and really at the heart of that social emotional learning. What we want to do is be more intentional about that in, in the understanding of that, in the delivery of that, and how that can continue to be a part of our teaching and impact students' lives. Very good. Pat? No, thanks. Thanks, Dean. Bob, you know, we're looking forward to, to meeting the, the Waldorf team at the USDLA conference in July. It's going to be fantastic. 
I've been in distance learning for a long time on, on the technical side. I know you've been providing online degree programs for, for quite a while now. Um, give our listeners and viewers a little bit of a, a profile on your online student population as they exist today. And what differences are you seeing um, how they were 10 years ago? Let's go back 10 years ago. Is there a difference between what you're seeing today and what you saw 10 years ago? Yeah, sure. For our online students tend to be non-traditional students uh, in, in terms of their age. 37 years is the average age of our online student. Most of them are uh, employed full-time or in, in the military. They have families. Uh, they have the busyness of adulting uh, going on around them. And so they need that flexibility of uh, the online experience to do their studies. It's absolutely inspiring talking to our online students of what they do to complete their degree. So, you know, they're getting up before the kids get up at, at five in the morning to, to, to study, or they're doing it during breaks at work, or, you know, we have many uh, in the firefighting profession that are doing it during, uh, you know, whenever they have, you know, time, uh, on their on their shift, or they're doing it in the evening, or they're bringing their computer to the soccer game when their kids are practicing, and so they find a way to get it done with all the other busyness of of life. Yeah, and they do it because it means so much to them. Sometimes it it's yeah, it's a, it's a direct impact on their their careers. I need this degree in order to advance. But for a number of our online students, it's to be a model to their kids that mom did it, dad did it, you can do it too. Graduation here is absolutely amazing uh, because a number of our online students who have never been to uh, Iowa, let alone Forest City, uh, appear on our campus and hearing their their stories and we, we just had graduation a couple of weeks ago we had a uh, a student from vietnam come with his his parents to graduation from sierra leone from jamaica and then all different corners of the united states and they come with their parents and their children with aunts and uncles uh and it is a family celebration and we allow for that at graduation. If you want to whoop and holler and hoo-ha, when you hear that person's name, we're all in on that because this is a big deal and we want to, to, to celebrate with you. A couple of years ago, we had a, a group of four firefighters from the D.C. area come to campus for graduation. And they arrived to campus oh, three to four days in advance of graduation. And they were hilarious. They went around town and they went around campus snapping uh, pictures and posted them on social media about here I am at the uh, Louise Hansen Library where I pulled my all-nighters during my Waldorf years, or here I am at Borderline Pizza, the best pizza during my college years, and things like that. So, but I think there's a perception of what is the connection like between an online student and the institution that they they graduate from, and our online students are passionate warriors. You know, we're the Waldorf warriors. And they they bleed purple and gold are our colors, and it is amazing to be around them. Now, for I would say a large part, 
that hasn't changed over the last 10 years. But I think coming out of the pandemic and being part of the pandemic, that was and, and this is counterintuitive when I to, to people and people are, are kind of surprised when I say that, that the pandemic had more of an impact on our online students than it did our residential students. And we're a small student, residential student body of about 650 students uh, here. We were able to, to manage the pandemic pretty well here. And those students really want to be on campus and have that college experience. Our online students, with that demographic, their lives were tossed in complete disarray. Uh, not saying that that didn't happen to our residential students, but you know they have all types kinds of concerns going on. Now their kids are at home using the computer for their their education. They're trying to deal with anxiety of what's going to happen with my job, with my career, and a part of just that kind of reprioritization uh, that I think almost all of us gone through, through that, uh, through the pandemic. And where does my education now fit fit with that? That's been the biggest change that I've seen in the, the last 10 years as it pertains to our online students. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Bob. I, I can definitely see that. Uh, Dean, I'm going to turn it to you for another question on the volley. Well, Bob, let's talk about, we've been talking about the students and what they've gone through, the type of students that they are. They're not the traditional 18 to 22s. But at the same time, let's also talk a little bit about faculty. and the type of faculty that teach them and maybe some of the unique challenges that a faculty member who does online, do you have a training program? How do you, what's the approach of Waldorf, particularly from a faculty point of view? How do they handle, I mean, they just took on one of the biggest crises that I can think of. Mm -hmm. I'm very curious about how faculty approaches and tell me about them. Yes. So uh, we have wonderful, amazing faculty and that's, I think why we have that loyalty from our students is the the faculty and staff experience that they get as an online student at Waldorf. And some of our campus faculty also teach online, but we are also able to recruit faculty who I don't know why anyone would not want to relocate to rural North Iowa. Uh, but there are some people that prefer to be around beaches or large cities or 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 things like that, uh, and we respect that. And now they can be a, a Waldorf faculty member. Aaron Gruel out in Long Beach, California, can be a faculty member uh, for us now. So we're able to really broaden our reach in recruiting faculty into our online program. And a lot of them... Uh, really have uh, amazing backgrounds in terms of practitioners in their field, not only scholars, but practitioners in their field, like like Aaron Gruel, uh, for, for example. And so they can create those relationships uh, with, with our students uh, while they uh, have their toes in the sand at the beach. But they have that same type of commitment, whether they're on campus or online, to our student experiences. So we do have uh, orientation. So they understand Waldorf's history and, and roots and how that continues to inform who we are today and what our mission is. So that's that's vital 
that they really understand what is particular about that Waldorf experience so they can deliver that to our students. Do you find that those faculty members become really interconnected with those students that, in other words, that they watch them not only as as academics, as, as teachers, but frankly, one of the issues has always been about students continuing towards their degree. Life gets in the way and they drop out. I'm very curious about how you use them within the advocacy side. Yeah. And, and those professors, they, they really have not only you know knowledge of how to use the modality, but they have a passion for it as well. And they know how they can connect with students. But I would say of equal importance is our, our staff. We have amazing staff in uh, student services, uh, all throughout, from, from admissions to the registrar's office, student services, so on and so forth. And I can tell you, you know, back to graduation stories, uh, how many times I've, I've heard one of our longtime stu- student service representatives referenced by, by students about, yeah, she would pat me on the back, but she'd also kick me in the butt when I needed it uh, as, as well. So that's something that, again, I feel a great deal of pride about with our online programs. That, and when we started online programs, I, this was a big question. Can we offer a Waldorf experience based on a campus education with 500, 600 students to students who are taking courses through the online modality scattered throughout the United States, scattered throughout the, the, the world? And time and time again, the feedback is, yes, yes, we can. And yes, we do. And it's because of those faculty, because of those staff members. Very good. Pat, over to you. Thanks, Dean. Bob, you know, we've been talking a lot about the past. We've talked a little bit about, you know, current with online students and faculty and whatnot. Let's take a look into the future a little bit, right? This is always one of those uh, questions I, I like to hear from all the different university presidents. What's on their mind when we think, you know, the next three to five years, right? Let's just keep it in a, a, a narrow span right there. What do you think it's going to look like, especially for private universities, right? You know, what's education? What's higher education? What's your school going to look like in the next three to five years? So the the first word that comes to mind to me uh, is partnerships. Partnerships are going to be critical in preparing and serving our, our students. I think the old model was higher education is in its own silo. These private liberal arts schools are in their own, own silo. They know what they do for, for, for the education. And then they go out in, uh, they, they graduate and they, 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 they find their way from, from there. I think the model going forward, and in some ways it, it borrows from the community college model is listening to what uh, employers want and needs because it changes so quickly now and involving them in the construction of the curriculum even as as well and even in the classes. And the online modality in particular suits itself to that model where you have subject experts uh, you have uh, you you have your instructional design team, and then now if you're bringing in a potential partner to that mix as as well, 
you can really ensure that you're providing what is necessary for that student to take their next steps after graduation. Look, I'm a big believer in the liberal arts. Uh, and as you said, my, my degrees kind of come out of the humanities. And, and I think it's those are extremely critical skills for anyone to be able to think critically, to communicate well, um, to develop empathy, to have a broader historical knowledge. All of that is critical. But we also need to recognize what the needs of uh, you know, our communities are and partner directly with those communities, whether it's municipalities, whether it's uh, churches, whether it's uh, corporations and employers, whether it's other higher education providers, instead of seeing each other in competition, how do we collaborate better uh, to together? And to me, that's a lot of what we're working on. And so some of it might not be in your traditional degree offerings or even degrees. It could be badges and certificates uh, and things that follow uh, when someone has a degree, uh, you know, that, that they're continuing on with their education and they have something uh, to, to, to show for that. Uh, but others, that might even replace the degree as well. And we need to be open to all that and put the student first and what the student's needs are first. Do you see the partnerships as just being local partnerships or do you see, hey, I've got to look well beyond my backyard here? Well, I don't know if this um, would qualify for a backyard or not, but we've had a relationship with the Ministry of Education, Youth and Industry uh, out of Jamaica. So going from the, the, the white snow of a uh, winter in Northern Iowa to the white sands all the time in, in Jamaica, we, we had kind of a loose partnerships but with, with them on some of our degree programs. But when the pandemic hit, uh, it hit Jamaica really hard and they had to go to remote learning and they they didn't have a lot of skills in that, uh, but we had a, a number of uh, students in our Master of Education department that that communicated with the Ministry of, of Education saying, uh, you know, Waldorf is pretty good at this. They might be able to provide some training for our teachers. So we very uh, uh, quickly built uh, some uh, webinars and training sessions for their teachers that help them transition from the classroom teaching to remote teaching and the best practices that come with with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm a strong believer there on the partnerships and you know, fun. that's a, that's a way this country is going to increase our productivity or yes. the whole world is going to increase the productivity. Mm -hmm. um, Dean, on to you. Well, this will be the last question, but we're going to go a little bit off the rails here, I think, just a little bit. This is the investigative journalism division of of our show. Bob, you sound about as Midwestern as there is. You're almost <laughs> as much Midwestern as I am. I'm from Ohio, from the rural parts. I know that Midwest sensibility, the ethics, which are greatly admired, by the way, throughout the world. And you've been focused in higher education your entire life. I mean, that's, that's where you started. Labor arts, as you said, all the way through. You have likes and interests, but they're fairly usual. I think, I mean, it's football, it's, it's cards, it's golf. 
but not quite everything's the same. And I, I'd like to know an answer to this. <laughs> I noticed that you're a drummer. Now, I know band drummers, you know, marching band drummers, but you're a jazz drummer, I think, and maybe a little bit more than a jazz drummer. Mm-hmm. Maybe, a, maybe a bit of drums to you. I'm not quite sure. You played for a group called the Squirrels from Hell? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I got to know more about that. Tell me about this experience and how does a president become a jazz or jazz drummer become a president? I'm curious about this. Tell me. <laughs> well, specifically to the to the squirrels, um, you, you won't find much about uh, them anywhere else except from the the members. Where uh, one of my uh, college bands is a punk band called. Uh, Squirrels from Hell. Uh, previously, it was Three Days Growth. I uh, played in a pop band called Fractured Image at the time uh, as as well. Uh, and I uh, have always uh, enjoyed uh, being a part of musical groups. Like you said, uh, I, in particular, I've, I've played a lot of jazz, which actually landed my first job at, at Waldorf in the English department. Here, I was getting ready to... Uh, for my phone interview and had all my notes prepared on my teaching philosophy and my scholarship and and all of that and get on the phone call and the first question out of the gate is you know we have a pretty good handle on your teaching philosophy and and uh your uh your scholarship tell us something else about you. And so I was not prepared for that. So I'm roaming all around and happened to land on, yeah, and I, uh, I, I'm i a drummer. I, I, I play quite a bit. And, and there's this laughter going on uh, in, in the room. And I said, what, what's, what's so funny? And he said, well, we, we have a jazz combo on, on campus, a faculty jazz combo called rank and tenure. And I said, oh, really? I said, do you need a drummer? And they said, yes. And I said, well, thank you very much. And that was the end of the interview. No, we, we completed the, the interview, but I think that uh, that helped me along, along the way. And, and it happened that three quarters of the members of that uh, jazz combo were on the search committee as well. So that really helped me, really helped me out. As a quick follow-up to that, there is a little bit more serious side to the whole question about jazz and drumming and all these kind of other things and doing other things. Drummer is usually the heartbeat of a band. Mm-hmm. What did you learn? What, did you take an experience? Did you take any of that experience with you as, as into university besides just drumming? Did you learn something from that that's helped you in your career? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's a, it's a model of leadership, uh, particularly with playing with, with jazz combos. The drummer has... The loudest instrument there we can <laughs> we can wreak havoc if we want to but that's really not not the the goal particularly in in jazz yeah you have a little time for maybe a little drum solo here or there but largely your role is to make the other members of the band better uh to to sound better to play better to inspire them in ways that the audience probably doesn't know because they might not hear the little grace notes on the snare drum or, you know, a little pattern that you have going on on the bass drum as as well. But while the saxophone player is is improvising, he's hearing that and he's playing off of that. And you're playing off one another uh, with with that. And so in my idea of effective leadership is that particularly when you hold the title of 
president. There's a, there's a certain I, idea of you get to do what you want and, and all that, but that's really not the role of leadership. The role of leadership is to help others be the best that they can be, to try your best to find resources that they can be the most effective they can for their students to, you know, in find ways to be around, to inspire, to advocate for, to lift up our 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 students. Uh, and invariably, the the best part of my day is when I get to interact with with a student, whether that's uh, in through an email, whether it's you know going to a music concert or a, a basketball game or or something like that. Uh, and getting to to interact with with students and talk about those experiences uh, af- afterwards. That's what I always enjoy. Well, we're about ready to wrap up. A very quick comment to you, by the way. You made me change my mind about something. I work with a lot of colleges and universities. I'm now going to ask that all presidents take at least two or three courses in drumming so that they can learn a little <laughs> bit more about leadership. Maybe right. I could de- develop a course on drumming and leadership in there. I, I've got the person to do it. (laughs) Oh, to you. Thank you, Pat, Dean, and Bob. That was another fascinating conversation on the Distance Learning Roundtable. Uh, We look forward to seeing you, Bob, at the U.S. Distance Learning National Conference in Orlando, July 17th to 20th. Um, Check it out, usdla.org. I'm Hope Katz-Gibbs, producer of the show on the Incandescent Radio Network and Incandescent TV. This is our June episode, and we look forward to bringing you the July episode as well, starring Erin. So she will be with us next month, and we can't wait to see all and hear all about that. So thank you all. We will see you soon. Be well.